With so many stories of strength, perseverance, and life-changing journeys, I knew I had to help share the good in the world. My name is Christine Petrella, and I'm fortunate enough to host a podcast where I can speak with guests who have made such a large impact in their communities by giving back and being so generous to causes that need our attention. My next guest is Miriam Hart. She is an entrepreneur, engineer, designer, Stanford grad. She taught at Stanford. She's pursuing her master's at Stanford. She's a content creator, a strong voice for women in tech. She's developed NFTs with a give back and continues to empower women to be their true selves while learning new skills and using their voices. Oh, yeah. And Miriam is one of the stars of the Netflix series, My Unorthodox Life. And that's just scratching the surface of her fascinating accomplishments. Miriam Hart, thank you so, so much for joining the Give Back Model podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am doing good. Our schedules have not matched up the past couple months. So I am so happy we finally were able to put this into the books. Before we kick it off, what has made you smile this week? What has just been so incredibly inspirational to you the past few days? Yes. So actually, two days ago, I moved into this female founder's house in New York City. It's a group of 25 women handpicked who are working on really cool tech startups and we're all living together. And that's just been, I would say, my highlight for the past few days. One of the girls here actually does ice baths every morning. So I did what two with her and it was like my first time ever doing an ice bath. I sat in there for three minutes. It was pretty crazy. So does that help with your muscles or your mind or what's that supposed to do? Both. Yeah. It's supposed to help with your like inflammation and then also just like mental resilience. And honestly, I don't need coffee this morning after doing that. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. <laughs> I have heard of it and I've seen a lot of people on Instagram that have been posting about it, but I don't think I'm brave enough to try it myself. So how long has this been going on where they've had this housing for young women in New York City for this project? So it's called Launch House. It's a new startup and they have locations in LA and in New York. And pretty much this is one of the first female cohorts. So it's really just for like any entrepreneur. They have different tracks like engineer track and like Web3 track and all these different kinds of houses you can join based on your interests. And so I joined the female founders cohort. And yeah, I like didn't know what I was getting myself into. But so far, it's really cool. All the people here are really smart, really curious, driven. So I'm really happy. That sounds amazing. I'm looking forward to learning more about that. I found you on the Netflix show, (laughs) My Unorthodox Life. So I I really got into that show. I was blown away by how transparent and open and honest you and your family was. And after kind of following you and getting to know you through the TV and through your social media, I was incredibly inspired by everything that you've shared with the world. And so the Netflix uh, show, you're a reality TV star. How are you? Are you comfortable with that role and that title? Yeah. So I've known about the show for quite some time prior to it coming out. And when my mother came to my family to say, like, we have this opportunity, it was kind of more of each person getting to decide for themselves as to whether or not they wanted to be a part of the series. So I got to think about it for literally over two years as to whether or not I wanted to be a public figure. And we didn't know for sure if it was happening or not. But even so, I was very intentional with my thought. And I really sat down with myself and journaled and wrote and made sure that this was something I wanted to do. This was an intention of mine that I wanted to be a public figure or not. 
Uh, and I decided to go down that route. And so now everything that comes with that, I really have accepted and am happy about for the most part. Is it everything you expected it to be or were there some surprises or anything behind the scenes that we don't see and we don't know or maybe we don't understand? Yeah, I mean, like, I think that there was no way for me to know how it would feel like until the show actually came out. And once it did, I learned a lot. So I got tons of DMs from people saying, thank you for talking about being like bisexual or just everything with the religion. And just all of this positive feedback that I was getting from so many people really is what motivates me and what motivated me to be a part of the show and to continue being a part of it. Uh, and even though I have gotten negative comments a lot, all the time, every day, I just always, the way that I frame it in my mind is that as long as I'm inspiring one person, that's all that matters to me. And I always get that no matter what I post when I'm like scared about something like no makeup or I'm talking about, you know, just anything that makes me nervous to share. If I just get one person saying thank you, like that's always enough for me to know that this is like worthwhile. Well, I can tell you that everyone I have talked to about your show and your family and you specifically, everybody immediately looks you guys up and they are huge fans. And again, it's all about just kind of being unapologetically yourself. And you do a really good job of recognizing who you are. So with the Netflix show, was it hard for you to share with the world who you are as an individual? Was that tough to kind of you know, we see behind the scenes of really your family and get very intimate with your family. How was that for you? I just really accepted the fact that I want to share everything with the world because I felt like it's important. I had this really unique opportunity to be in front of the camera. I have this really interesting background and story and passions with like technology and all these different things that to me, it was kind of just too big of an opportunity and too much good that can come out of the situation for me not to do it. And so that's why I'm okay with how it went down and sharing all these things. And of course, I didn't share everything about myself either. And there's still so much more that I could share in season two. There's like everybody kind of digs even deeper into who we are and what we share. But for the most part, I've really accepted that when I'm talking, people could technically be listening to me. And it's kind of just like this shift of mind where I'm not really living a private life anymore. It is mostly a public life, but I'm okay with that. And I want to represent people like me. And so that just gives me the strength and courage to do so. Absolutely amazing. Now you're just for the listeners, your family was approached for doing the series for many reasons. And one of the main reasons I think is your incredibly unique circumstances from your past. So you, this is all stemming out of upstate New York. I am from Rochester, but this is a completely different upstate New York. It's a fundamentalist Orthodox Jewish community in upstate New York, Muncie. So at what age did you kind of really come into yourself and say, hey, this is not the way I want to live? So the the when I came into like really saying, I don't believe this in, in this anymore, that happened when I was about 16 and a half years old. So like five and a half years ago. And it took a lot of time for me to get there. My mom, she started like not being religious when I was about 13 years old. So I stayed in the community an extra three years because I genuinely believed in the religion, in the rules. And, and it was only once I turned 16 that I 
I had this transformative moment where I allowed myself to question, which put me on this six-month trajectory of reading every biblical text, asking my teachers all these really existential questions and trying to understand why my morals are the way they are, why these beliefs are so core to who I am. And then I got to a point where I was like, actually, this makes no sense. I want to get out of here. (laughs) Right, right. Is there a difference between modern Orthodox and I guess ultra Orthodox? Yeah, and it's not even binary for the most part either. It's really like religion and Orthodox Judaism is very much a spectrum. So throughout my childhood in particular, my family started being from like ultra Orthodox, no TV in the house. We didn't go to the movies, no radio like really, really cut off from the outside world to my little brother crying all the time. And then my mom going to the rabbi and requesting us to have like black and white television for him just to entertain him, like slowly, slowly, gradually making it to modern Orthodox Judaism. So it's very much a spectrum. Some families don't have internet. Some families do. Uh, Some families have TV. Some families don't. So it's really just the spectrum of Orthodox Judaism. And like my family definitely slowly was making its way to modern orthodox where my dad is right now he's modern orthodox and the rest of my family we're all on our own little religious journey i guess yeah yeah we learn a lot about how your family does seem to be at different chapters in their lives when it comes to looking back at judaism and looking back at where they fit in and you know you do have a big family so it was very interesting from an outside point of view to kind of learn about how different that journey is for each of you. And, um, you know, you mentioned your little brother and it was tough for him to kind of share that side. And you mentioned earlier when we were talking that you each got to kind of unpack if this is something that you wanted to move forward with. So I really just appreciated everybody in the whole process coming out with their side of the story and their journey. So we learned a lot from that. So looking back, I mean, being on Netflix, has that changed your life and your beliefs Or were you very certain and sure of yourself before even going into this role? Well, I think I've grown since I've started doing the show. Like We started filming in 2020 and now it's 2022. And so I've definitely changed as a person just because of time. But in terms of the show changing me, I would say it just brought me and my family together in a whole nother way. We started like filming together and we have this shared experience that I can't really relate to with anybody else. Uh, we're on the same show together. We have similar backgrounds, you know? And so it's just this newfound connection that I have with my family and my siblings, which is, I think, really nice. And then it definitely like being a public figure now has just changed the opportunities for me. And I've always been this person who says like, fake it till you make it. Do you boo? Like these are like slogans. <laughs> yeah. Like my friends are annoyed at me. <laughs> I love that. They're always like, what should I wear to this event? I'm like, whatever you want to wear. And I'm like, see you, boo. Yeah. (laughs) Like they get annoyed literally, which is funny. But yeah, it's kind of nice for me because I've always been preaching the same things my entire life. And now I kind of just have listeners to what I'm saying. Like I, I have people who are actually interested in hearing what I have to say, which is fun for me because I've always been like, yeah, like you got to like be yourself. It's so important, you know? And you do it so well. I mean, you really do for, for your age. And, and I'm not trying to sound like, you know, you're that much younger, but for your age, you have so many amazing accomplishments after accomplishments after accomplishments. I mean, you are a graduate of Stanford. You taught at Stanford as well. 
So you're a teacher at Stanford, you're an app engineer, developer, entrepreneur, speaker. Like out of all those roles, what are you most proud of? What have you cultivated to be like your baby? Wow. I don't think I've ever gotten that question, actually. (laughs) I would say that one of the hardest things I've done was getting into Stanford because coming from my background, the school I went to, my secular education was terrible. It was only once I was 15 that I switched to a modern Orthodox school. And then I left my community when I was 16. So I was only there for one year. And so majority of my education was in trailers on this campsite where the teachers taught us mostly Hebrew subjects and like biblical subjects and just enough to like pass on our like New York State regents is what we learned. And I literally never learned geometry. My English class was terrible. I never learned how to write an essay, never learned grammar. I never even learned how to write properly. You can imagine when I took the ACT, I got a 15 out of 36, which is like a 35%, you know, and the national average is like a 60%. And so I did worse than the average American by a lot. And so getting to Stanford from that background and that just lack of knowledge of math, science, English, critical reading, critical writing was really hard. It was really, really hard. I studied three hours every day for two years to get to Stanford, to build my score from, I needed at least a 31 on the ACTs because that was their minimum. And so that was my goal for two years to just build it up to a 31, do everything I need to do to get into that school, which was really hard. Did you have a mentor through all of that? So I actually moved to San Francisco when I was 16. So when I left the community, I literally not just left like, the religion, but physically left. And I moved across the country to San Francisco. I joined a computer science college there. I did that for a year, worked as an engineer for a year in San Francisco prior to going to Stanford. I knew how to code better than I knew how to like read and write English, (laughs) which is crazy. That's so cool. (laughs) Like I was better at that language because I just was learning it at the same time that I was learning how to write English too. So I was pretty much like at the same level for both. And I guess being out there, my mentors were my employers. My mentors were my friends and my teachers in San Francisco and my mom. She was my biggest supporter. She, I remember when I was 15, still in the community and my mom said to me, you're going to Stanford. And I, and cause she was not religious anymore. And she was like, education, super important. And I was like, you're crazy. I go to this terrible school. I'm a B plus student. I mean, I can get into community college and then maybe transfer, you know, to a good school, but there's no world in which I can go to Stanford. But she just said that to me. And then after going to San Francisco and me starting to like really believe in myself uh, and starting to build my own path, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to go to Stanford. And so then I made it happen. So why Stanford at such a young age? How, where did Stanford come about? I mean, I know it's consistently on the top 10 list of most prestigious schools in the country year after year. So that's probably why Stanford, but why did you choose Stanford? So first it was because my mom said to me, she's like, she agreed to let me literally drop out of my high school in New York, move to San Francisco on my own at age 16. If I went to Stanford, that was our agreement. She's like, also for you. And doing this crazy stuff because I know you don't want to be Muncie anymore, but you have to go to Stanford. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like Columbia. It wasn't NYU. <laughs> it was Stanford. And so I just said, okay, as a 16 year old, like, fine, I'll try, you know, like, if that's the agreement, I really want to go to SF. 
And so I agreed to do that. And then it, because I was in the tech scene, Stanford is just the best. It's in Silicon Valley. It's the best like computer science school in the U.S. And so it was kind of like, okay, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to fucking do it, you know? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And so I applied and it was actually the only school I applied to. And so because my agreement was that I go to Stanford to my mom and to me, college was like really cool, but I already was like, I have a job. Like I already know what I want to do. I don't need to go to college. I'm good. But I still made that promise to my mom and I still wanted to go to the school. So I worked hard to get to apply there. And as a backup plan, I applied to Consensus. I was interviewing with them. It's one of the first crypto companies. They've been around since like one of the founders of that company co-founded Ethereum, which is the second largest blockchain technology. And so I was interviewing with them. And I said, I was 18 years old interviewing with them. I met them, a lot of the people in that company. And I said to them, if I don't get into Stanford, I would love to work for you guys. And they're like, yeah, like, and that's another thing about the tech scene too, is that if you have ambition, if you're young, if you're hungry, people want to work with you, people trust you. And that's another reason why I really got into that space and had so many opportunities in that space is because as a 17-year-old girl in San Francisco, people are like, yes, like come work for us, come work with us. You can learn on the job. Like we like you just because of like that drive. And before that, you had a couple apps that you produced. Yeah. How many apps have you put into the market? Yeah. So I, I built over 10 iOS apps over the past 10 years. Which one do you suggest I download today right now? Um, Right now, I have this app called Boobemoji. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Yeah. It's a sticker pack of just like motivational, like breast quotes. I don't know. I, I wanted to just do like cute little like boob like stickers, but it kept on getting rejected uh, <laughs> when I did that. Yeah. For like porn. I don't know. It was just like not appropriate. <laughs> But now it's like, I need it like breast cancer, like awareness, support, focus. Yeah, so that's one. There you go. There's that entrepreneurial mindset kicking in. And so I know you've always been very vocal about saying we need more women in crypto. And I will say it's very intimidating, first off. And even when you go online to Investopedia or even Google and you just try and learn about it, the way that they kind of explain it is very intimidating. So. What are we not getting? As a woman, I mean, I, I would love to get involved. I would love to learn more. But I feel like when I go online or when I try and learn about more, it's, it's again, intimidating. What am I missing? What are we missing? Yeah. Well, for one, 95% of startups in the space are male-founded. And from the 5% that aren't, usually one of the founders is a man too. So like the space is so male-dominated. And why that matters is because Blockchain is an infrastructural technology. It's like underlying behind, like it's replacing servers and how data is managed and how files are stored. And it's this infrastructure that's literally recreating the internet, right? And so as women, we have these experiences and these understandings that men just don't have because they have their own experiences and their own understandings of how things work. And so I think it's so important for women to get involved in the space because if we're not involved, we will be excluded from these very deep underlying technologies that will change the way of how we interact with each other over the next 100 years, you know, and that matters. At Stanford, I spent a lot of time studying ethics and technology, understanding the context around which technology is created. And a lot of the times we think that tech just grows and is like the innovation just happens. But really, there's people who are creating these innovations 
And there's a lot of systems in which the thought happens that excludes a lot of people or promotes others. And so we have to create, find a way to create equitable technology. And that's why I think it's so important that women get involved in the space. Otherwise, they will be excluded. Minorities will be excluded. And that's really problematic. Right. So what, what's my first step? If you were to give me a piece of advice, where do I go from here? So if you go to my website, <laughs> oh, I have it up right here <laughs> on like miriamhart.com slash NFT slash cuter eye. It's this collection I made and on it, I wrote an article that is how to get involved with like crypto, how to set up your first crypto wallet, all of these different things. And also you can, once you follow the article and set up your crypto wallet, I actually like can send you an NFT. And so you actually own an NFT in your wallet right away. It's for free. But I like did this because I want more women to get involved and actually like have ownership there without having to put money down. Because I want women to keep their money at the end of the day. I'm not encouraging anybody to invest. This doesn't have to do with investing. Crypto has to do with the technology and understanding the impact and value it adds. So what I want to see is more women starting to think about ways that they can utilize the technology to create something really cool and impactful because crypto and blockchain allows for trust and transparency that hasn't ever really existed with existing technologies that we have right now. So knowing that it's like, okay, if let's say right now, like mothers and daughters are getting arrested in Nebraska for helping each other with abortion, right? And they've been pers- prosecuted by getting their Facebook messages brought into the investigation. And that was like the proof that was used to show that they were assisting in an abortion. And so what are ways that blockchain can be used for communication that will protect women? So government entities or like prosecutors don't have access to kind of these messages that are being used. Like there's so many ways for activism that blockchain can be used. And so many people are doing just incredible things, raising millions of dollars for you, like the Ukrainian humanitarian crisis is using crypto. Like there's just so much good that can be done with blockchain. And I feel like women are the people who actually like go there and think of these things. Uh, And so I just want people to just understand what's possible, what they can do with this even if they don't understand how it works. They don't need to understand how it works. Right. It's such an untapped world because, I mean, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, even that, again, is very intimidating. It's intimidating for me. It's intimidating for a lot of people that I talk with. I do have some friends who are getting involved in it. But as far as, and you mentioned earlier, your cuterie, is it called? Yeah. Your NFT. <laughs> so what is the give back? So 100% of your proceeds are donated where? If I, I go in and I get involved. Yeah. So 100% of the proceeds are donated to five different reproductive rights organizations. And the way that it's structured is that there's this organization called Unicorn Dow run by Nadia from Pussy Riot, which is this feminist punk rock group. Yes. You've heard of it? Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So she's awesome. She's like one of my really big inspirations right now, I'd say. And so she started this pretty much bank account on crypto. It's called a wallet. That's like a bank account called legalabortion.eth. And she's gotten a lot of different NFT collections and a lot of different people to donate money to this wallet. And all the money in that wallet address is being donated to these five different reproductive rights organizations. So I pretty much partnered with her. And so every time somebody buys an NFT from my collection, the money goes straight into that, to that bank account, pretty much. And so they've raised over almost a million dollars at this point for these like like Planned Parenthood and like four other ones. I don't remember the name, but yeah, just like big reproductive rights organizations. 
That is incredible. So how have you seen women becoming more empowered by getting involved in the tech industry? There's so much to say on this. Uh, I'll start off. I want to hear it all. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll start off with kind of the personal growth that happens when people get involved. So, and I'll share my story with that too. So I started programming kind of when I was 13. That's when I built my first app. And I was in the community, super religious. And the first app I built, I actually didn't know and understand a single line of the code that I wrote, uh, which makes zero sense. But what I did was, is I went on YouTube and I typed in how to make an app, literally not even knowing what coding meant, what it was, what it looked like. I just thought maybe there's a website where people build apps or maybe, I don't know. I genuinely had no idea how apps were made because I was so just cut off from things in the world. And I knew also, like, as a bored child in the community, as a girl, there's no extracurriculars. I'm not allowed to play sports. I was just very bored and I love learning things. And so I spent a lot of time on YouTube on my brother's computer typing in, like, how to play guitar, how to make origami, how to break dance, how to make videos that do, you know, like just random how to things. And I just sat on his computer in the afternoons learning random stuff. And so to me, making an app was literally just like, typing in how to break dance. It just was the same equivalent of just I'll YouTube it and learn. And so that's what I did. Uh, and I followed along all these different YouTube tutorials, how to add a button in an app, how to add text, how to make an icon, how to publish the app, you know, how to create a list, how to create a button that links to a phone or like just literally all these how-to videos following along. It took me six months, but I finally pieced together a fully functional iOS app written in Objective-C, which was the programming language, I literally didn't know starting off what a variable was slash I haven't even heard of the word before. And after doing that and creating it, it was for my school, Ateras, which is the school I went to at the time. And everyone in my school downloaded it and they used it to see like their schedules and their calendars. And it had like the lunch menu and just literal like random helpful pieces of information. And so doing that, after making it, it kind of just gave me the sense of empowerment. And also I finally felt like I had a voice from within this like very small community, especially as a girl, there's no attention brought to me ever, brought to any girls ever. And so people were like, nice job, Miriam. Like you did something really cool. And I felt really special after doing that. And so that kind of just showed me how much of a voice you can have through technology and through creating with technology. And especially for women who oftentimes don't feel like they can just be loud and be outspoken. Technology is a way to do that and to create products and things that you wish existed for yourself. And so also, that's one thing that I think is so beautiful about women getting into technology. It's kind of that they get get to create things that they wish existed. They get to feel empowered by being able to actually build the world they want to like be a part of. And then also it's kind of this mental shift and this shift into the growth mindset that Apps seem so difficult to make. Websites seem so hard. Engineering seems like you have to be a math person, a science person to go there. But once you do it, once you build something, it's just this new found belief that women and people get in, in themselves. Like, wow, I can go from having an idea, literally just an idea, nothing, it doesn't exist yet, into something that's tangible and actually exists. And not just you use, but other people use too. This like shared product, which is so beautiful and so empowering in itself. So that's like one of the main reasons why I love 
this space, why I want more women to get involved is because it helps them believe in themselves. And that belief can apply in technology, but also in all other aspects of their lives too. Yeah. And it's so important when you say at 13 was the time where you heard, Hey, good job, Miriam. And and I think about my daughter, she's five and every day I'm just, you know, I'm proud of you. Great job. You're doing so well. And to come from a community that you came from, it's just so, I guess, shocking is the word to know that that's not how young girls are encouraged and that's not how they are raised. I mean, even if you go online and you search for women in tech and the stats that come up are less than 15% or 16% are women CEOs in the tech industry. So what resources are available? I mean, you learn through YouTube, you learn through your drive of just wanting to know more. What resources are available to young women who really want to start exploring in the tech industry? Yeah, there's so many. I would say the biggest resource is the internet. Uh, and there's so many websites and ways to learn. I learned so I learned virtual reality development through a Udemy course, like Udemy.com, online courses. They have great content and ways to learn. I you just have to sit down and do it. But as people in the like 21st century, we really have so much access to knowledge and information that anybody can learn anything if they want to. Truly, you can learn physics and linear algebra and like history, guitar, coding, anything just by searching it online, how to build an app, like learn coding, just like literally Google it and you'll find it, become a master Googler. And then the second step I would say is just finding a way to hold yourself accountable to actually doing this. Maybe find a friend who also wants to learn how to code and set each other, set goals together and hold each other accountable like a gym buddy. But really we don't, you know, don't need to put any money in it. It's just all you need is access to the internet, access to a computer, and you're good to go. You can learn how to code right now. I would love to get on the internet right now and learn to code. It's very intimidating. But I think after following you and listening to everything, it sounds like it's something that if you want to do it, if you have the drive to do it, you're going to figure it out and you're going to make it work. Yeah. Is there a book that you've read recently or read at one point that really has inspired you? Yes. Condoleezza Rice's memoir. I recently read that. <laughs> She's an inspiration of mine. What a great, great book to recommend. Now, to add to your powerhouse resume, you are also starting a podcast. It is called Faking It, I believe. Yeah, Faking It. Yeah. So what are you going to be talking about on your podcast? Yeah. So my slogan for the podcast is fake it till you make it, not faking orgasms. <laughs> uh, and so I cover everything about empowerment in the bedroom and out of the bedroom. That's like the sex part of it to me is also so important because I feel like as women, it's so hard to feel empowered while having sex, like in the bedroom. And I've gone through my own struggles with that coming from my community, being queer. And so I just feel also like this need to talk about it, to talk about how to not fake orgasms. I've faked enough in my lifetime. <laughs> and then the other side of it is fake it till you make it. That's just like who I am, you know, like building that app. I didn't know what I was doing the first app I, I built. I literally faked it. I just YouTube things and went along and everything I've done in life has been me not knowing what I'm doing, doing it anyways, and then being someone who's done it before. And then that's like, that's where the making it comes in. And so it's about the belief and the bravery of just going for things despite knowing whether or not you can do them. It's about embracing uncertainty and taking fear head on and just believing yourself even when you have no reason to. And so I just like talk to really cool women and people about anything from 
be like being vegan to like really cool se- like female founders, body empowerment people as like hair specialists. One of my new episodes is about uh, the quote is like I watch lesbian porn. Does that make me bisexual? Because I a lot of my friends like come to me and say that they like watching lesbian porn, but they're straight. And so I just thought it'd be funny to talk about that. So yeah, just like silly and also intellectual conversations about empowerment. I love that you go for it. I mean, there's a thought that comes into your brain and you just make it work and you make it happen. Who would be your dream guest to have on that podcast? Condoleezza Rice, for sure, would be a dream guest of mine. Steven Johnson, he's a philosopher and a writer. He's one of the reasons why I was able to break out of my religion, his theory on the adjacent possible. And so I would love to talk to him on my podcast because that'd be cool to meet him. I have a list. Those are the top two that came to my mind because like I would just, it'd be amazing to talk to them. But yeah, I can go on. Jennifer Doudna, she's really cool. She like invented CRISPR technology. Possibilities are endless. What else do you have going on? I mean, I've, we could probably talk all day about everything that you have in the works, but what, what other projects are you working on right now? Yeah, so I just moved to New York and I'll be here for a year before getting a master's at Stanford. And so now I'm just working. I'm doing this podcast and I joined two startups with my mom. One is uh, Plus Body. It's a luxury shapewear brand that's coming out hopefully soon. And the other is a metaverse company. So that one, like we're really like starting together, working on everything, uh, co-founding. And that one I'm really excited about. That is so great to have Julia Hart in your corner. I mean, that's your mom. She too is a powerhouse. She, I know just from watching the show, not like I know her personally, but she just seems like she is going to support you no matter what. It sounds like you guys both, you speak your mind and it's so inspiring to see. She is, I mean, again, I don't know her and she's a mentor to me. Everything that you've been posting and how vocal you are and how comfortable you are with talking about sex and your body and your life. And it's, it's again, super, super inspiring. So I want to know what is your message to the world? Uh, my message to the world. Let's see. I think that for me, because of my life experience, I went from having all the answers, knowing what was important in life you know, having this like belief that just gave me everything that I needed in the world in terms of purpose and meaning, which is really cool and big and huge. And then I hit this point where I was like, actually, I disagree with all of this and it doesn't make sense to me anymore. And breaking out of that taught me that there is no linear path to life. And that even for people that aren't in an extreme religion, even being in America, there's kind of these expectations and societal norms of what it means to be successful and what it means to be a good person. And especially for women, it's what it means to be pretty, you know, and what it means to have a family and just like all these ideas and norms that are expected of us. And when I broke out of that, I kind of threw away everything, every norm, every expectation. And I had to go from ground up and decide for myself what my meaning is, what my purpose is, what matters to me. And that's really helped me be my own person. Also being queer, throwing away romantic norms, um, sexual norms, and also deciding what it means to be a loving person, what it means to be a lover, and just really deciding in all aspects of my life, religion, sexuality, like everything, being able to just start from the ground up and 
see what I want to do. And I just encourage people and I want people to understand that these norms exist and maybe think about what norms are in their lives, what societal pressures are on them and kind of see if it's actually something that they want to be doing. And if these norms didn't exist, what would their life look like? What would they, how would they dress? How would they act? What would they do? And I just encourage people to try to find a way to follow their own path. Be brave, take those steps because at the end of the day, they won't just make themselves like feel better, be happier, but they'll inspire people around them to do the same. And then it'll just become the norm to do you. And so that's, that's a message I want to share. It's a beautiful, beautiful message. I want to thank you for everything you've shared with us, with the world, for putting your life out there, for helping us understand, you know, the religion and coming out of Muncie and coming into New York City and and all the different experiences that you've had. Um, You are incredibly inspiring. Every time I go on and look you up to kind of find out what you're doing, it's something new and it's something exciting. And I'm learning. I'm learning a lot from you. And I know a lot of people are. Where can the listeners find you? I know um, you're on Instagram at mariamhartharty.com. Where else can we go to get more information about everything you're doing? Yeah. So at this is faking it on Instagram to stay up to date with like latest episodes of my podcast. Also, yeah, you can go to my website and subscribe to the Substack. I write articles regularly for different magazines. And so just empowerment, female stuff. So if you want to read more, learn more about crypto, I have crypto workshops and things like that. So you can go to my website, subscribe or go to my Instagram, Graham Hart with two A's. You are amazing, Miriam. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Give Back Model podcast. You are incredible. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. Today, Miriam talked about the struggle she faced growing up in a fundamentalist Orthodox Jewish community in upstate New York, and also how she was able to overcome so many challenges after she left that community. The sheer drive to keep learning and her no-fear attitude when it comes to women's bodies, empowerment, sex, and relationships— That's really why she's dominating in the tech space right now and someone we truly need to take notes from. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of The Give Back Model. Please head over to your listening avenue of choice and leave a review, like, subscribe, follow, and check out our website, thegivebackmodel.com for more episodes, show notes on each guest, and the Give Back Model merchandise where $5 from every hoodie sold goes to charity. I appreciate all your support and continue to help give back to your community.